Renovate is a ministry of Christ Chapel in Fort Worth, Texas. It's a ministry for young adults, so that's whether you're in college, whether you're in your 30s, whether you're a young married couple, or whether you're single. Our desire is to see lives renovated by Jesus and for Jesus. Enjoy. Praise God. How are you guys? Good. Uh, I am excited about tonight. I'm excited about this new series. I'm going to talk about that in just a second. I'm excited about Casey, just in general. I like that guy. Um, uh, Hey, by the way, Josh mentioned it too, uh, but if you walked in late, I just want to reiterate the epicness of the 0.5K. Don't miss it. Uh, If you care about Belize or if you care about God, I don't know, I'm just saying. Uh, you, should, you should come, man, seriously. Even if you don't want to run half of a kilometer, uh, it's going to be a cool party. We got breakfast tacos, and I heard there's going to be chicken minis, potentially, and there's going to be coffee, and there's going to be all kinds of stuff, waffles maybe, all kinds of stuff. So um, anyway, man, it, it'll be a fun party. We'd love for you to come. $20, and, and your money goes to donate to Belize. So if you don't have $20, but you still want to come and party and get free food and hang out with people and play games, um, then just tell me and I will spot you $20, okay? So just come at least hang out with us. If like 100 of you take me up on that offer, then I'm screwed. But if like four, I make $50 a month, so like I'll need some help from Josh. Josh makes like 40. So between the two of us, we could cover, what is the math on that? Four people and have, and have $10 left over for our wives <laughs> to buy groceries and whatnot. Good. So anyway, man, you, you guys come. It's gonna be a blast this Saturday, 8 a.m. <clears throat> okay. The stories Jesus told, that's, uh, that's where we're going. That's this series for the next five or six weeks that we're gonna be in. Um, I, I'm excited about it. We're looking at, at parables. We're looking at the, literally the stories that throughout the gospels that Jesus sat down with his people and, and taught and, and shared with people. Um, I, I'm sure I've used this illustration before, but I think, it's, um, I, I think it sticks for me. Um, when, when we got pregnant, when Danielle and I got pregnant, she did the pregnant thing, but like she was the one who was pregnant. We went and got a sonogram right? And you get this image. You get this image of a baby and it's black and white and it's, you know, flat and it's a blob and it's a heartbeat and arms and legs and these things. And as the baby grows, you start to see more and more of it and you start to uh, figure out the gender of the baby and all those things. And then they have fancier sonograms when it gets later and you can find, uh, find out more kind of a 3D sonogram. Like that's a thing now. Uh, and, and then one day you eventually get to, Lord willing, meet this baby. And, uh, and it's this incredible thing. So much of our pursuit, if you are a believer, if you, if you say, man, I want to follow Christ, man, I, I am a Christian, I want to give my life to the Lord, I want to be his, is this journey of us looking at him through, Scripture says, this glass dimly lit, like seeing him and searching for him, but him revealing himself to us in Scripture, him revealing himself in Scripture and that maturing to say, man, I want a better and better view of Jesus. And we should want that. We should want to see, okay, at at points we get a sonogram. At other points he reveals more and more and more of his character. And I want to be someone who says, man, I want more. I want to know who Jesus is on this side of eternity more and more and more. I don't want to shape him in my image. I don't want to create a Jesus. I want to know who the 
If he is who he said he is and he is the risen king of the universe, then I wanna know him and he has, he has revealed himself to me. And so this idea of spending five to six weeks in the parables of Jesus, we get to look at Jesus. We get to stare at Jesus and stare at the stories that he tells that shape who he is, what he looks like, how he loves, how he calls us to live our life in response to who he is and what he's doing. And it's this incredible thing that I need and you need in your life to be able to stare intently at Jesus. So that's it, man, for the next five or six weeks. Every week we're gonna get up here and we're gonna tell the story that Jesus told and we're gonna look at Jesus. And I believe and I pray for that that changes our lives. Not my sermon or Josh's sermon or our songs or the chords we play in the songs, but man, that the spirit of God takes that as we look at Jesus and says, yes, and that our lives continue to change and deepen in our love for him because of who he is, because he is lovable, because he is worthy. And that's why we're doing this. That's why this is worth it uh, to us. And that's kind of what you're in for uh, in the series for the next uh, several weeks. And that's, you know, whether you have been around church forever and you are just the most mature believer and you just came out of the womb and like, had your first quiet time. You just had a cup of coffee and Instagrammed it and was like, prayer journal, day one, happy birthday to me, and you just started studying the Greek and the Hebrew. <clears throat> uh, right, maybe that's, that's you. Man, our hope then is that we would be able to look deeply and say, okay, I need more. I'm not, I'm not, I'm not satisfied. I, don't, I want more of him. I want more of him. I want more of him. And if you're new to this whole thing, I love this ministry for you as well. Now, I want you to keep coming and staring at who Jesus is because who he says he is and what he said he did and what we believe he did changes everything about who you are and your life. And the stories that he tells were for a reason, were for a reason for his people. Um, and so if you're anywhere in there or if this is your first time, man, we're especially glad you got drug here. Maybe you're just looking for community. Our hope is that maybe uh, for whatever reason, somebody brought you here and I hope that they brought you here. I believe they brought you here because they love Jesus and they want you to love them too. Um, and you should be bringing people to Jesus and to conversations about him. So that's kind of where we're going. A uh, big picture in this series, the, the stories that Jesus told. And then tonight, real specifically, here's the, here's the question that we're gonna answer. Here's the question that I think Jesus' parable uh, speaks to. It's got kind of this one big idea. I think it speaks to the question that I ask, embarrassingly, I think as a pastor, I ask of, man, how do I love Jesus more? How do I really love Jesus more? How, how do I worship him more? And if I'm honest with you guys, which I probably shouldn't be because as a pastor, this is frowned upon. Um, but uh, if I'm honest, man, I feel like so often I'm going through the motions. Right, like I'm just going through the spiritual Christian motions, um, whether that is in my personal worship at times, my personal time with Jesus that I feel like, okay, man, I'm supposed to read this and do some journaling and check the box. And there's, there's a lot of my spiritual life, man, that my, my relationship with Jesus that if I'm honest, I think, man, how do I really love him and adore him and worship him? Because right now I just feel like I'm going through the motions. And I think the story Jesus tells um, lends to the answer to that question of how do we love Jesus? How do we do that? How do we do that? How do we worship him? How do we have that kind of response that it seems like if we've been around for a while, we, we know, man, I think that's the thing. And so tonight is gonna be short and sweet, this first one. Uh, it is gonna be short and it is gonna be really, really sweet because we're just looking at the gospel and we're looking at this one story that Jesus tells and, uh, and it's gonna have this one 
really big and really important idea, and then we're just going to say, okay, now how does, how does that apply to us? And that's, that's where we're going. And so we're going to be in Luke chapter 7, and we'll throw the verses up on the screen if that's easier for you to follow. Uh, we're basically covering tonight 36, verse 36 in chapter 7 through verse 50. Um, and this is cool because it's a story inside of a story, right? We're going to talk about the story of what's happening with Jesus, and then Jesus, it's like inception, man. It's like inside of that story, there's another story. It's going to blow your mind. Here we go, verse 36. One of the Pharisees asked him to eat with him. And he went into the Pharisee's house and reclining at table. And behold, a woman of the city who was a sinner, when she learned that he was reclining at table in the Pharisee's house, brought an alabaster flask of ointment. And standing behind him at his feet, weeping, she began to wet his feet with her tears and wiped them with the hair of her head and kissed his feet and anointed them with the ointment. Now, when the Pharisee who had invited him saw this, he said to himself, if this man were a prophet, he would have known who and what sort of woman this is who is touching him for she is a sinner. Okay, stop right there. Okay, let's make sure we're painting the picture of what's happening here. Uh, What's happening is we've got a Pharisee, right? And a Pharisee was a religious leader of the day. He uh, he, He was the guy who followed the rules. He was the guy who was in charge of the synagogue, worked the synagogue. He was somebody who from a very young age had devoted his life to the holiness of God. He had devoted his life to living very specifically in accordance with scripture, specifically the law, the Old Testament, the first five books of the Bible were, were his just daily bread. I mean, he was, he was a man who had spent his life saying, yes, I'm going to follow this God. I'm going to obey this God. I'm going to do what this God tells me to do to every jot, every tittle, every little specific dot the, dot the I, cross the T. That was who we're talking with. And he's a, a religious leader who had invited Jesus into his house, right? He was holy. He was righteous. Pharisees get a bad rap all the time in the New Testament, specifically when we preach out of the New Testament. This story is not necessarily an exception to that. Um, I I think he's gonna kind of get cornered in some ways, but his life was to be obedient. His life was, man, I wanna be obedient. I want to please God in this way. So it's not necessarily a bad pursuit in his life. Here's the setting though. He invites Jesus into his house, most likely on the Sabbath. Right? Most likely it was on the Sabbath, and most likely, most scholars would say, because Jesus just taught at his synagogue. And so that's what Jesus' ministry was looking like. For about three years, he's traveling around Israel, and he's teaching in synagogues, and he is proclaiming the Old Testament and how it's pointing to who he is and, and what he came to do. And so people from all around are coming to hear this new gospel, this new good news of who Jesus is, and they are intrigued and they're confused and they're not sure, and is he a prophet and is he the Messiah and is he here to overthrow Rome? Overthrow Rome? What's, what's his story? And so most likely he taught at this synagogue. Uh, it's on the Sabbath. Uh, it was pretty customary for the religious leader to then invite the teacher. Okay, great, you taught. Thanks for coming. You come over and have lunch at my house. And so there he is in, in the house uh, of this religious leader and then this woman shows up. This woman who is described throughout this passage as a sinner, right? That is her label. Her label, when she walks into the room, everyone in that room knows this is a woman of the city. She is a sinner and a great, her sin is great. It talks about here in a second. Um, most likely uh, she was a prostitute uh, or it's spent good period of time, in, of, of time in her life being a prostitute, making money through that. That wasn't necessarily a rare thing in that, in that day and age. So she's a prostitute. 
She's in the house of this person who's dedicated his life to holiness and purity. She also has with her this ointment that's expensive, right? We know that it is valuable and expensive, probably the most expensive, valuable thing she has and purchased purchased by her lifestyle, which is prostitution. And so she has brought something that in this guy's mind would have defiled the temple, would have defiled the place of God. And here she's brought this thing. Uh, Deuteronomy 23 speaks specifically against that, which this guy would have known backwards and forwards. Deuteronomy 23, this is a great verse to put on a coffee cup or a t-shirt or Instagram it. It's verse uh, 16 or 7. Let me read it. It's, uh, I'm going to read this to you. <clears throat> 23, verse 17 and 18. This is the law, right? This is what this Pharisee would have known. This would be in the context when this woman walks in with this thing that she bought with her prostitution money as a gift to Jesus. He would have been thinking about this verse. Verse 17 of Deuteronomy, none of the daughters of Israel shall be a cult prostitute. None of the sons of Israel shall be a cult prostitute. And then verse 18, you shall not bring the fee of a prostitute or the wages of a dog into the house of the Lord your God in payment for any vow, for both of these are an abomination to the Lord your God. Great t-shirt verse, guys. <laughs> Gonna be a great just Instagram post for your next quiet time. <clears throat> you track it with me though? You, are you seeing the context here? Right, the, the context here of who this woman is, what she has now, who she is, her lifestyle, what she has brought into this guy's house. And then she does this crazy thing and she starts weeping on his feet. And then how does she dry them? She undoes her hair and dries his feet with her hair. That alone is scandalous. Right there, for women to let down their hair in this culture was scandalous. You don't let down your hair if you were a woman in this culture 2,000 years ago in the context of a Pharisee's house, you don't do it around men, much less this context. And she lets down her hair so that she can wipe Jesus's dirty feet with her hair to clean it. And then take this gift that was purchased out of her life of sin to anoint and place ointment on Jesus's feet. That is disgraceful. That is scandalous. She is a sinner. So this Pharisee is thinking, right? He's thinking, okay, what kind of prophet is this? Right? He's thinking, and I love that he says he thinks to himself, because then Jesus replies, and he's like, oh, I'm a prophet. I know what you're thinking to yourself. Um, but he, he's thinking to himself, who in the world? This Jesus guy cannot be a prophet. Like, if he is a prophet, he would know, he would have some sort of awareness of who this person is, if he really is who he says he is. And so this Pharisee is so confused. This person is a sinner. She is a sinner. What in the world is she doing so close to Jesus? There's no way he knows what's going on, or else he wouldn't let her that close to him. Here's what Jesus does and says. Here's the story Jesus tells. <clears throat> Verse 40. And Jesus answering said to him, Simon, speaking to this, this Pharisee, this is na his name was Simon. <clears throat> Simon, I have something to say to you. And he answered, say it, teacher. A certain money lender who had two debtors, one owed 500 denarii and the other 50. When they could not pay he canceled the debt of both. Now, which of them will love him more? And Simon answered, the one, I suppose, for whom he canceled the larger debt. And he said to him, you have judged correctly. 
And, and look, I want to go ahead and finish this out. See what, see what else happens here. Look at verse 44. He says, Then turning toward the woman, he said to Simon, Do you see this woman? I entered into your house. You gave me no water for my feet, but she has wet my feet with her tears and wiped them with her hair. You gave me no kiss, but from the time I came in, she has not ceased to kiss my feet. You did not anoint my head with oil, which would have been the custom then, but she has anointed my feet with ointment. Therefore, I tell you, her sins, which are many, are forgiven, for she loved much. But he who is forgiven little loves little. And he said to her, your sins are forgiven. Then those who were at the table with him began to say among themselves, who is this who even forgives sins? And he said to the woman, your faith has saved you. Go in peace. <clears throat> the story Jesus tells is, is pretty intuitive, right? We, we have this debt, right? One debt is 50 denarii. The other debt is 500. Uh, one denarii, which is a a weird thing, we don't use that word a ton, that would have equaled the payment of one day's wage for a farmhand. So one day's wage for a farmhand is, this person has 50, so they're, they're talking, man, it's gonna be, it's gonna be two months of, of working just about every day to pay back this debt. And the other person is 500. I mean, you're talking almost a year and a half, every day's wage to try to pay off a debt. They both go to this money lender. He wipes them both clean. Who is going to respond with more love? The guy, the Pharisee nails it. Simon nails it. Well, the, the person who had 500 denarii forgiven, the person with the greater debt is going to have a greater love. What's the, what's the truth here? It's written all over. It's so, it's so rich here. Here's what the God of the universe, here's what our Jesus is saying to us. The depth of my sin, the depth of my sin, my mistakes, my lack of holiness, the depth of my sin is the debt I have to a holy and perfect God, right? A, a God that requires holiness from me. There is, a, there is a God that we believe in, that we believe has revealed himself through scripture. The, my God, your God, the God of the universe who requires holiness from us. Be holy as I am holy. We see that in the Old Testament, Leviticus 11. We see that in 1 Peter chapter 1. Be holy. We are asked and called and required to be holy. And the depth of how far short I come to the holiness that my God asks of me, that depth here Christ talks about is directly linked to my worship. That depth is my debt to this God. This God who I cannot repay that holiness to. Not in two months of working and doing good and being holy enough. Not in a year and a half of doing good and being religious and being spiritual enough and being obedient enough and following the rules. I cannot repay the debt that I have been forgiven. That those who are in Christ have been forgiven. And because of Jesus, there is forgiveness because of Jesus, because a perfect God went and hung on a cross and died and was buried and rose again and paid the penalty for the debt that needed to be paid 2,000 years ago, I now today in 2018 get to live a life of freedom. And for those who are in Christ, we get to live this life of freedom because our debt has been paid. Praise God, the gospel, yes. So the big idea, 
right? The, the one big idea of this parable, and then we're just gonna apply it in three different ways. The one big idea is this, my capacity for loving Jesus. How do I, how do I love Jesus more? My capacity to love Jesus is directly tied to my understanding of the debt that has been forgiven in my life. My capacity, my ability to love and respond and, and worship and, and adore, my ability to love Jesus is directly tied to my understanding of how much debt has been forgiven me, how great the chasm is that he has filled for me. The depth of that will produce in me and in you and in those who say they wanna follow and love Jesus with their life, understanding of that depth and understanding that it has been filled and it has been bridged is what leads to um, worship, right? That's what leads to a response to this God. Um, this plays out in two different camps in our life. So I wanna talk briefly about just these two different camps. Um, and so camp one of how this plays out and a, and a way that I think sometimes um, I lose sight of this in my life. Um, camp one, and there's, there's two different parts to camp one, so stay with me. Camp one's gonna be on the left side of the stage, just so you know. Camp one is this. Um, we tend to minimize our sin, right? I, I tend to have an apathy in my walk. You know, I have a tend, to, tend to have an apathy of going through the motions at times in worship and my love for Jesus and seasons. And, and this happens in a couple of different ways. And one of them is by how we might minimize sin. And we look at sin and we think, because we've heard the gospel, because hopefully, Lord willing, you've heard, yes, the grace of Jesus, the death, burial, and resurrection, Easter, awesome. We heard that sermon, we're all forgiven. And so because of that, we look at sin and say, it's no big deal. Sin is no big deal, it's been forgiven. And we take the grace of God and we dump it in this, in this mistaken way to just say, sin isn't a big deal. We, we read a story like this and we think, see, Jesus, Jesus doesn't really care about her sin. Jesus doesn't really care about it. It's not a big deal. Like, okay, so she made a lot of mistakes and we minimize our sin. That woman, that woman, there was a weight of her sin that Jesus knew and he said, it is great. And Jesus, more than anyone, felt her sin. Jesus was in a garden before he was crucified, sweating blood out of, out of an angst because as the obedient son of God, he went willingly to the cross, but also said, Lord, if there is a way that I don't have to, if this cup can be passed, Father, our savior, our Jesus, knew the weight of her sin, knew the, the horribleness of her sin, knew the destruction of her sin, knew how dark it was, and I think so often, man, even in my life, and I think so often in our lives, we have taken the gospel, we've taken this encouraging pat on the back, good, I'm gonna get grace, I've got, I've got my ticket, and we minimize our sin. And when we do that, it, it completely handicaps our ability to really respond appropriately to a God who has paid my debt. It handicaps your ability to worship adequately a God who has paid your debt because we start to say, well, my debt's not that bad. And we live in a world that says, absolutely, your debt's not bad. What's wrong with that? You can live the life you wanna live and don't follow these rules and you don't need holiness. You just need to be you and you need to be happy and that's what you need to pursue and whatever may, and we live in a world that's going to surround us with that. And so we, 
minimize sin. The other way we do that and the other way we kind of minimize uh, sin and we, we rob ourselves from worship and loving Jesus properly is not just by minimizing it, it's because we don't see it. But the other person in this camp is the person who, man, just doesn't see their sin. I know for a fact this is me. Like standing up here tonight, I know there are areas in my life that don't honor God. I know there are things in my life that, um, that, uh, that are not what he wants for me. I know, there, and I know there are those areas in my life and I'm not even sure I can see them. I know there are blind spots in my life that I can't even see. And I need community. I need brothers and sisters who love me enough to speak into that, to show me some of those areas because so often we just don't see our own sin. And specifically, and this is a specific um, connection for those of you in this room who, man, have done this thing. This is your 100th renovate. You know, you, you, you've, you've grown up in the church. You've known how to live. You know the right answers. You know where this is going. And so often for us, there becomes a self-righteousness. There becomes this Pharisee. This is where he was. He couldn't see his own sin. I don't struggle with what she struggles with. I don't struggle with what he struggles with. They couldn't see their own sin. Simon, this Pharisee, he looked at this woman. He saw her sin. It was great. It was obvious. It was scandalous. But he couldn't see his own disobedience. He couldn't see his own hardness of heart. I don't have the words to break through to the self-righteous. Like I don't have the words to break through to the self-righteous parts of my heart. All I can do is hope that the Holy Spirit convicts me in the areas where I think, oh, self-righteousness has crept in. In the areas where I think, yeah, I'm doing pretty good. I'm fine. In the areas that I look at my sin and think, well, but I'm, I'm better than most. In the areas where I compare myself to someone else for my standard of what is holiness, which isn't how holiness works. The very nature of holiness is my comparison to be holy as our perfect God is holy. <clears throat> and so here this Pharisee was revealed. This hypocrisy was seen. Um, I know there are areas we don't see it. I know my hope and prayer and even this past week has been, Lord, would you reveal to the person who might be sitting in this room and comes every week and enjoys it and serves and is a part of this ministry or a part of this church and, and just would you reveal to us, God, what a... What are some deeper ways in which we have disobeyed you? What are some other places where I don't put you first? Reveal those things in me so that I might receive your forgiveness, so that I might respond in worship and deeper and deeper and greater and richer love. A couple of ways in which we minimize. <clears throat> Last, the other camp, the second camp. Um, this is the other way that you might hear this story. You might say, okay, I'm gonna minimize sin, right? That's something that maybe you can acknowledge that you do. Maybe you say, okay, I, I don't really see how this applies to me and I'm doing pretty good. Red, red light should be going off in your head. Whoa, whoa, that's dangerous. There's self-righteousness there. Here's the whole other camp. <clears throat> you just don't believe it. When you hear about the grace and the forgiveness of God, you just don't believe it. You don't believe that the grace and forgiveness of God is really that available to you. Or maybe you hear it and intellectually you say, cool, great, yes, good, I need to hear that. The grace of God is for me. But you don't really believe it. To the person in this room 
who thinks that they have gone too far. To the person in this room who thinks that their sin, their past, the mistake they made last Thursday evening, what happened over this past summer, what happened to them when they were a kid, what their life looked like in a certain season of their life, and they say, man, if, if I was known, if that sin was out and exposed, specifically before a holy God, sure, you might intellectually know that his forgiveness is great, but you are not believing that because you're not walking in freedom of that the shame and the guilt connected to that. If you are in Christ, if you are in Christ, and if you're not in Christ, then that is a conviction that says, come and bring this once and for all to me. But if you are in Christ, it's believing that. It's saying, do I really believe that the forgiveness of God is more powerful than those mistakes? Than the mistakes that I have made? Than the mistakes that I am currently stuck in? And do we believe the forgiveness of God is that powerful? Sisters, do you believe that the God of the universe loves you the way he says he does and has forgiven you? Do you look at your life? Do you look at your body? Do you look at your past? Do you look at relationships? Do you look at, and do you see the way Jesus sees you if you are in Christ as his and as forgiven and as clean and as pure and brothers? Do you see who the God of the universe looks at you and says, you are my adopted son and I love you? And you say, yeah, but you don't know about this stuff. And he says, of course he does. Of course he does. But do I believe really in the forgiveness of God? Man, I struggle with that. This woman believed. This woman believed. Maybe she was there in the synagogue that morning. Maybe she had heard his teaching on the street. She believed and she had to get near his feet. She had lived a life of prostitution and here she is and she has got to get to this Jesus to celebrate him, to be gracious, to respond in this belief that who he is and what he's done for her, she is there weeping, weeping, weeping out of a response for the love that she has been shown. And, and the amazing thing and, and one of the ways we see that confidence is, is when we start to believe it, we start to share our story with other people. No longer does that past, man, I know some people in this room who have shared parts of their story that they haven't shared their entire life. And yet they've seen the healing freedom of God who has freed them and healed them and cleansed them from, from hard, horrible things. And they've been able to share those stories in a way that glorifies God because they look at my past, look at these things that there should be shame attached to, but there's no, no longer shame. And so that's one of the ways we start to realize that, man, I'm believing this. Because we can come up here and we can say, man, I'm a pastor. I'm a pastor who, who, has, who has struggled and had to put accountability in my life because of lust, because I can't trust myself, right? A, a pastor who cares more so often about what people think of me and adoration for me than I do of God. Wicked, wicked stuff. Wicked stuff in my life. And yet I get to bring it and say, but look, God has forgiven me. And that gives me the freedom to live differently. And that gives me the freedom to worship because I know a little bit better of a glimpse of the depth I have been saved from. And I'm still learning and I'm still understanding more and more. Oh, wow, he's that beautiful. Oh man, I got a lot of work to do. Oh my gosh, I'm still fully loved. I'm still fully loved. It's this incredible, incredible thing that produces worship, um, he is offering peace. He is offering forgiveness. And don't make the mistake. Jesus didn't miss her sin. 
Jesus, it wasn't that Jesus didn't see it. He saw it. He knows your sin. He sees it. But in Christ, he forgives it. It's not that he thought her sin was no big deal. He didn't dismiss it, right? He died for it and then forgave it. How does this apply to our life? Three, three ways that I would say, man, take this, pray over this tonight, take this to the Lord and say, Lord, I just want more of this. I want more of this. Maybe you've heard this a hundred times. Lord, give me more of this. If my heart is stale, Lord, protect me from becoming a Pharisee. If my heart is callous towards hearing this, protect my heart from being a Pharisee. And if you're here and you say, I don't believe it. I understand it. I've heard it, but I don't believe it. I can't walk in that freedom. I would never confess that. I would never bring that out. I would never be exposed in that because you haven't experienced the freedom and forgiveness. Then tonight say, Lord, would I believe it tonight? I believe it tonight. When I walk that out, would you give me the faith to believe how you love so that I might respond by loving you? So, so here it is. Three things. Do you take sin seriously? If you're a note taker, the big idea of this whole story is our capacity to love him is tied to understanding the depth of our debt. And so how we do that is do you understand your debt? Do you take sin seriously in your life? This doesn't work if we've just turned Jesus into a false God that just excuses everything and he doesn't care about my sin. No, our sin is great and our sin is an abomination. Do I understand my sin? And am I not afraid to look at it? Do I see myself properly is the second thing. Do I take sin seriously and do I see myself properly? I need community for that. I need people I can trust who love me enough to say, hey, I see something in you that you can't see. I need the Holy Spirit to do that. I need the Spirit of God to say, Ben, I love you. Look at this. I want, I want more from you here. I, want, I, I, I need that. I want that. And then do you receive his forgiveness? Do you receive his forgiveness is the third thing. Man, do I take sin seriously? Do I see myself properly in my flesh, in my sin, and then do I receive his forgiveness, which gives me the confidence to do those things boldly, to not be afraid to take sin seriously because the depth of his forgiveness is so great, to not be afraid to, to see myself and see my heart and see my sin and wickedness because I know what is waiting when I can identify it and confess it and bring it forward. I know I get depth of forgiveness deeper and deeper and deeper. And I realize, oh my gosh, I got debt. I didn't even know I had getting paid for. I want more of that and more and more of that because the response is then worship for me. He sees me, he knows me, and he still loves me. He sees you, he knows your sin. Jesus knows this woman's sin. He knows the Pharisees' thoughts. And yet he still loves you. That is the gospel. That is the gospel. I get to receive his forgiveness. I get to go before him if I've never done that before and say, God, I am tired of being stuck in this place of sin that I don't think I can ever grow out of, that I think I'm ruined by. I am stuck at trying to do this myself by doing church or religion or whatever it takes. I need you, Jesus. I surrender my life to you. I'm gonna stop trying striving. I'm gonna stop disbelieving in your power and I'm going to believe you are who you said you are. And like that woman, we get to go before the Lord with a heart that is weeping saying, yes, everything I have, everything I have, all my inhibitions, I am yours. 
And the God of the universe says, yes, you are. Yes, you are. And I have made you and I will make you whole and I have a plan for you. That is it. That is it. (laughs) That is it. And that is how we love him. And that is how we worship. The solution to how do I, how do I love him more? is to understand how he loved me first. To understand tonight, the God of the universe loved you more than you love him tonight and has done so much. Do we see it? And my apathy is an indicator that I don't really see it. I don't really believe it. Would the Lord change our heart in that way? Let me pray for us. Father, Father, would we respond to this in, in a way that only you uh, can allow us to respond? Uh, would you mature our hearts tonight? Would tonight be this sweet night where, yes, we just get to stare at your grace and your forgiveness. We're not afraid to look at our sin because we believe you are more powerful. We're not afraid to look at ourselves seriously and we want to jump into that because we believe your forgiveness is waiting for us and has made us new and there is nothing that can separate us. But Father, you've got to do this work in us. And would we receive your forgiveness tonight in all different areas and all different degrees and all different depths. I pray for depth in all of my brothers and sisters in this room, but Lord, I know we're all in different places. But would we receive that forgiveness and then would we be able to respond with joy? Would we be able to respond then from your forgiveness with, yes, obedience and a life that honors you, even making mistakes all along the way, Lord? Would we be able to respond with peace that you offer? Father, we love you because you loved us first. Would we understand that in a deeper and fresh way tonight? In the name of Jesus, amen. We hope tonight was a blessing for you. And we hope that you heard the love of God, the reminder that the love of God covers the depth of our sin and his forgiveness is that powerful and that that would lead us to a life of joy. And and even as he told uh, this woman at the end of chapter seven to go in peace, that we would live lives that go in peace with the confidence of knowing we have a God who forgives. And that really does change everything for us. It changes our motivations. It changes uh, our joy. It changes how we interact with others. It changes our obedience to the Lord because we have such a forgiving and loving God. Would we be spurred on to good works? Would we be spurred on to love and respond the way that we are designed to? Um, We have a great God. We'd love to walk with you more, introduce you to this great God more, help you in your spiritual walk in any way that we can. And so reach out to us. Uh, We're here in Fort Worth, renovatefw.org. We'd love to take you to get a cup of coffee or whatever it is that we can be a blessing for you or even be praying for you. Let us know. God bless.